going to ask you to turn your Bible to two places, okay? And they're both in the Psalms. I want you to turn to Psalm 1 and 2, and I want you to turn to Psalm 36. So uh, both of those passages will ultimately end up in Psalm 36 as our study here this evening. But uh, those two will be our starting point, and we will start in Psalm 1 and 2 here this evening. We are coming back to the book of Psalms. It was uh, middle of last spring that we were going through uh, 10 of the Psalms, and uh, we went through that. And uh, it's just good for us as we come back to the study to be reminded on how these Psalms started. There is 150 Psalms. They break up into five different books. Uh, They've got uh, different sets there, and some say that that parallels the uh, the law with the five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. You've got five books in the, in the book of Psalms uh, there. But the psalm starts off uh, with uh, two psalms that are vitally important. They're like doors to the rest of the psalms. Without those doors, you really aren't going to have a good start into the psalms. Uh, having an understanding of those two psalms will, will benefit you greatly. And understanding the direction of most of the psalms uh, there are some that are unique uh, completely but uh, in general you'll have the themes found in psalm 1 and psalm 2 psalm 1 starts off with uh, the type of person that the psalms are going to be a help to going to be a challenge to you have uh, the the first statement there in chapter 1 blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night and you go that kind of a psalm is exactly what god is looking for in the old testament a person who fears him and that doesn't mean that he's quaking and and, and afraid uh it's just the fact that this person's got an awe of god you go how did this person get an awe of god because he thinks about god day and night there's not a time in his day where god is absent from his thoughts and absent in his considerations god's a part of them and as such he is not uh spending his majority of his time with people who would be exactly opposite of that the individuals that are described in verse 1 as the ungodly or sinners or scornful. I mean, the ungodly are just people who, we sometimes get a picture in our mind of the ungodly as people who are just really, really bad. You know, those are ungodly people. Uh, people that are ungodly are just people who live life without God. And you think about the world that we live in, you, you face uh, some of the programming of our day and as you go through the programming of our day on television it's absent of god and you might have good people in the stories but as you go through there's there's not any reference to god there's not any paying attention to him consideration of it they're just living life without god and that's just kind of the generic term for people who are living in this world and they really aren't paying attention to it. But you get to the end, you have the scornful, which are people who are intentionally making their goal to make a joke of God. That's their whole life uh, and uh, course. And for the believer, they, if they're a follower of God, they are going to be one who delights in the teaching of God. They're going to be like, verse 3, a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in the season. They're going to be healthy individuals spiritually, emotionally. They're going to have strength. 
But you get to the chapter 2, and the chapter 2 just kind of zooms out from the individual and looks at the world in general. And you start off the, the, that psalm, and it starts off with a statement, why do the heathen or the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The leaders, the kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, and that's the word Messiah, New Testament word Christ, against this Christ, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. In general, as you look at our world, what the psalmist is stating here, you look at the world in general, they are attempting to live life without God. In fact, they're going, we, we are going to try and make life work without the restrictions and the organization that God has put out there. And in today's society, we, we can see this magnified and glorified people trying to live outside the design, even of creation, and they're going, we're going to make it work. God is restrictive. God is, is uh, holding us down. And so what we're going to do is gain freedom, you know, and that's the term they use, sexual freedom and, and license and all of these things. And, and you just kind of go, we're going to make life work the way we want it to work without God telling us how to make those things work. And as that statement goes, verse 4 just simply says this, He that sitteth in heaven shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision, because God, who is the creator of all things, we didn't get here by an accident, He's the creator of all things, goes, that's not going to work. I mean, they're going to try, but they're going to look really, really funny trying to make it work it's not going to make sense it's not going to be possible that they do this but the fact is the world in general goes on like that and what you find is that the lord just simply states i will get my plans across i will get the things set that i need to verse six uh, yet have i set my king upon my holy hill of zion he's just simply saying this i will get my plans worked out and eventually my king will rule from jerusalem you can't stop that and and the challenge for people is this is that uh in verse number 10 be wise now therefore ye kings be instructed ye judges the earth serve the lord with fear rejoice with trembling kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little you go what does that mean that you bow the knee to god and, and the, the last way of stating it is just simply this, blessed are all they that put their trust, their faith in God. And so your psalms start off with, what does a person that is following God look like, but then backs up and says, here's the world that they live in. And you go through Psalms, and there are many different ones uh, that are collected uh, that we've gone through that sometimes are talking about sorrow, sometimes singing about praise. But we get to this evening Psalm, and it is rather stark the way that it starts off. Psalm 36. It's a Psalm of David. It's called, it's simply here, he's called the servant of the Lord, which psalm 18 he's titled that moses has called this and just simply stating he's following his lord he's willingly doing this 
But the psalm starts off, and it's just like a hammer blow. It's designed to be kind of just stark in the reality that's placed here. And the first four verses of this psalm start this way. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes, until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He hath devised mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. End of statement. What you are hit with as soon as this psalm starts is the abundance, I mean, I'm going to put it this way, the abundance of the wicked, the overflowing of the wicked. But I really don't want to use that term because uh, we're going to have a, a statement later that is uh, talking about the overabundance of this. But there's just an abundance of wickedness. And the fact is, is what you find here is the stuff as you go out into the world that you're going to see everywhere i mean that's the stark reality of life as you drive down the road you're hit with certain things as you turn on the radio you're hit with certain things as you go through and uh you read you're hit with certain things as you watch media you find yourself confronted with certain things uh and the people you work with they are a certain way and they have this kind of a characteristic to them and some of them are in your face. They, they don't care what you think. Really, they don't care what God thinks. That's the issue. And as you look at them, these individuals are ones who are acting as if they have a, a statement from God. You can't really see it in this phrase, the way it's phrased here, but the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart. That word saith is an unusual word. It's a word that we would translate in other places an oracle or a statement of a prophet or an angel. And, and what these individuals are simply going, it's like they've heard a voice calling to them of a God that is telling them, this is okay. Now you think about uh, what you have, you have the individuals of this world are ruled over by the prince of this air, air the prince of this present age, the prince of this world, and what are his statements echoing from the beginning of mankind's history? That God somehow has failed you in being good to you. That God really isn't righteous. He can't judge. He's, he's kind of an impotent God who's weak and, and can't do certain things. He's a God who won't do what he says. And in the, the really, the whole thing is God said to Adam and Eve at the start was this, that if you just simply take that fruit, you'll be like god and people in this world have almost as if they have uh, been told by a god that it is okay for them to go their own way to do their own thing to rebel 
it's like a voice of an angel but in this case it is a fallen angel that has given this advice to them and mankind has been following this for over six thousand years of human history uh mankind has been going their own way and it's because of what they're listening to as far as uh a voice that is telling them this is okay I mean, right down in their heart, it's the idea of within my heart is, uh, you could underline that and just simply say this, it's deep within their heart. It's right in the core of their being that they're thinking this. This is, this is what makes them flow. And you think about the heart, out of your heart flows the issues of life and right in their own heart, the, the center of their being. This is what goes on. They, they're rebels at heart. And you find in that second part that they just simply say this, there is no fear of God before their eyes. The idea of that word fear is not the normal word that we use for the fear of the Lord. It's, it's a stronger word. It's, one has said this, it's like fear on steroids. The idea is that it's terror. And what this person has is no fear, terror, of the judgment of god they've got no fear of that they should but they don't have it they should dread the fact that they have an offended uh, a thrice holy god but in their own heart in their own soul there is not that panic there is not the concern there is not the worry of that judgment in their own soul as such, you see in verse number two, these people are self-deceived. They've deceived themselves. It's the easier, easiest for a person to deceive themselves than anybody else. And in this case, you see in verse two, this is a person that flatters themselves uh, in their own eyes. Uh, this individual is, uh, one has described it this way, the statements of the wicked are hard to get a hold of. They're slick and smooth, uh, but unreliable. They're slippery. They flatter even themselves that they will somehow not be opposed or found out or ever get in trouble. And as such, if they, they are flattering themselves uh, and, and considering themselves to be indestructible, uh, you'll find, as you have in verse number 3, that their own words are hurtful and deceitful. If they're willing to deceive themselves, they're going to deceive others. Verse 3, the words of his mouth are iniquity. It's full of sin. Full of crossing the lines uh, that, that are placed by God. And it's full of deceit. And so this person is deceiving of themselves. They're self-deceptive, but yet in their conversations, they're hurtful and deceptive and lying to others. This is one who, as you find, is one who abandons good. It'd be something he should have as part of his life, but yet you see in verse number three, if left off to be wise and to do good, he's just abandoned those things that are right. And the idea is not just simply abandons it, it's like he turns and goes downward from them. The ideals that God has set, he's turned and, and, and gone away from this downhill. This individual is unresting and considering the evil that they can do. Verse 4, he devises mischief upon his bed. 
When you think about this, hopefully when you rest, it's restful. Okay, that, that's the goal of sleeping, if you did not know that, uh, for you to get rest. And, and what we attempt to do is to, when we go to sleep, hopefully get rid of distractions. I saw uh, an ad for you know, a, a, an app that helps you sleep better. And one of the things is, is that they say, well, you, you know, why are you having trouble sleeping? They'll go, we'll give you three hints. And one of them is, you get upset by your phone. I mean, this is the, you know, the world statement. You get upset by your phone before you go to bed. Uh, you have other distractions and they go on. But the fact is, is what we try and do when we go to sleep is to clear out things and, and go, okay, I'm not going to let the activities and the plans of the day be something that I worry about at this point. I'll get my rest and those those things will be there tomorrow just like they were here today and we'll be fine with it but i need the rest that i need well what the wicked does is that they lose sleep because they're just what they're they're thinking about more and more evil more and more wickedness and they stay up and they just can't get to sleep why because they're consumed with trying to figure out what they can do tomorrow or even in the present right now what they could be doing when they should find rest they're un resting in their plots i mean one said this even time normally spent in rest and recuperation is occupied with the plotting of evil what else can i do what can i get that is not right and as such these individuals if they aren't getting the sleep either they are destructive in their sleep habits they're destructive during the day uh, he setteth himself as you see in verse 4 in a way that is not good and the things that they're going to do are going to be hurtful to them and hurtful to others that's just the way they live their life and ultimately at the end if you didn't quite get what the psalmist is trying to say what david's trying to say this type of person just abhors what's good it, it's like it, it's uh, the idea of abhorring uh is just think of that food that you don't like okay it's different for all of us my wife could give you a couple of the ones i just you know we we haven't fixed in our house because i don't like them i abhor them it's not that i can get it down um that's what it's like for this person who's living out in the world they abhor good they can't be around it they don't want it they, they just see it as something that turns their stomach to see things that are right and good it just makes them physically mentally emotionally upset to see those things go on The question is uh, that you have uh, in just writing a psalm, you go, why would you start a psalm off like this? I mean, it's just four verses of just let's talk about wicked people. Well, uh, you could think of it this way. It's terribly depressing to wade through four verses like this right from the start. Is uh, David not trying to say to fellow believers, take a good hard look. This is your world. These are the sorts of characters you will be facing. The church today is either facing or under people like this. I mean, this is the case. You look at the world around you and you can see people like this all the time. And if you aren't finding them, just keep going. 
and the, the world that you live in, and you'll find people like this. It's open, aggressive sin that's in your face and in the face of God. And as we started off here, we said what we're looking at is the abundance of the wicked. And it could be overwhelming. Now, I've gotten to the point now where I don't like watching the news that often. You go, why? Because you just get upset. It can stir your soul. You go, well, I'm, I watch conservative news. It doesn't matter. They stir your soul. They, that's how they get their revenue, is that they want you to watch this and get upset and get angry that this is going on. But the reality is, it's there. And it can be abundant, and you just go, it's everywhere. And what the psalmist wants to remind you of, okay, there's abundance of wickedness, but there's an overabundance of your God that you should be paying attention to. Because what he does in verses 5 through 9 is just give you, if you think all those things that you're seeing around you and the people around you, it's overwhelming to you, well, go and look at your God. Those things won't be so overwhelming. Your God will be overwhelming to you in all of his characteristics and all of his ways. Because verse 5, it says this, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are as a, are a great deep. O Lord, Thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is Thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of Thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of Thy house, and Thou shalt make them drink of the river of Thy pleasure. For with Thee is the fountain of life in thy light we shall see light i mean what you have in this passage is that you could almost say it from a new testament perspective where sin abounded grace abounded much more and we could be overwhelmed by what's going on here. And the words that are used here is uh, simply describing all those characteristics that we want our God to have. If we got, our God didn't have these characteristics, we would be truly upset by what goes on in our world. And the words used here uh, to describe what God's characteristics are are the most majestic and the largest terms and the biggest illustrations that we can possibly come up with to describe our God. I mean, you just have that first uh, statement that's there. Uh, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. That word mercy is that word that is a great word to see in the Scripture. It's the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. Uh, has said is this hebrew word that can mean a multiple different things and all of them are accurate it can mean that god is loyal that god is faithful that god is kind that god loves fully he is fully loyal to his people and he loves them and he gives them abundant mercy and grace i mean it, it's it's really the characteristic in the old testament outside of god's holiness that is magnified throughout the old testament that there's a god out there that has all these good things that he overflows in 
And what the psalmist just simply says, if we were to stack this up, you know, you always hear these things, you know, if you were to stack this up and it got to the moon, here, you know, you would barely be, you know, whatever, you know, if you took dollar bills and you stacked them, you'd finally cover by the time you got to the moon uh, what our debt is right now. I mean, these, these silly statements like this, but they have them. We understand that if we can say something, that something is as vast as space, we're now, I mean, in our generation, we're understanding more and more how vast that statement is. Because it's not just that we have a couple of galaxies, we have billions of galaxies with billions of stars in them covering billions and billions of light years in distance. And you see the statement is that God, your kindness and loyalty and faithfulness and love for us and the mercy and grace that you have is something that excels to the heavens i mean it's you know it's up above the clouds but it's beyond that it's in the heavens and for us to think that way you kind of go you know what it seems like these people that are on earth are so small you get in an airplane you go fly anywhere, you begin to realize how insignificant we really are. I always like flying into the airports here in Midway and, and uh, into O'Hare, but specifically Midway because most of us can see our homes. Uh, and so you're like, hey, you know, used to be we lived in Manhattan, so it was really easy to go, oh, there's the racetrack, and okay, you know, follow it down, and our home's somewhere over there in those trees. But you get up to seven, eight miles high, and you're just like, you can't see cars, you barely see houses, and you're just kind of going, you know, we really are not all that significant. Even the large buildings as you fly in seem to be really, really small. So it is when we view our God, the, the, the wickedness of this world may seem so overwhelming, but it ought to be as we look at God, we're suddenly going, the wicked are nothing in comparison to what our God is like. He's abundant in all of his ways, but specifically in his loving kindness. I mean, if we were to give a term in verse number five, his faithfulness is stellar. You know, God has never failed one of his people, ever. Not once. I mean, we had a story this morning that we looked at, Joseph. He didn't fail Joseph even though he's in what you would say in the worst of circumstances in humanity god didn't fail him god never fails any of his children there'll never be a time where god's promises will fail which is a wonderful thing to consider because when you look at this life and you're going if it's, this is the only life i have and god's promises are are not going to uh, matter or can't god can't keep them uh, it would be hopeless but you're thinking God gives us hope beyond this life. You go, why? Because he's a faithful God. His promises are sure. So if he says, uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's faithful to that promise. He's never given up on that promise. And for us, as we look at this, his loving kindness is beyond the stars. His, uh, you could say his faithfulness is stellar. His righteousness, we could say, is unreachable. You think about uh, what he uses in verse five or verse six: "Thy righteousness is like the great mountains." You read the scriptures; that's usually describing a place that's unreachable. 
Now, that's a protective place in uh, the culture of that day. And for us, when we have uh, God and his uh, righteousness, it's something that's unreachable. God always does right. It's unlike us here on earth. We always are coming up short of the glory of God. We're failing in our righteousness all the time. You think about God's, his is unreachable. And his decisions that he makes uh, and the standards that he makes uh, are uh, high and above what we would ever expect. When you think about uh, individuals who are following after God and they do have some measure of righteousness, but when you look at your God, you realize, I'm coming up still far short of this. How good and right he is like going out if you've ever done this and you've driven from here out to colorado or wyoming and you uh, get into those states and suddenly you come up against the mountains that are there the rocky mountains it's hard to realize that you're already a mile up because it's been kind of flat the whole time that you've been driving out there but you didn't realize you're getting higher you're already a mile high that's why denver's called the mile high mile high city but you look at those mountains behind it and down those fronts uh you get down to colorado springs and you think about this and you've got pike's peak that's over twelve thousand feet and you're going i'm not even close yet and you look at this and go this is overwhelming and you're driving up those hillsides and you're like i hope the car makes it And you're just kind of going, that's what God's righteousness is like. It's just something that is very hard to get to. And then you see this about his judgment. It's unfathomable. I'll use that big word. But you go, what do you mean by it's unfathomable? It's the term that he uses in verse number six. Thy judgments are a great deep. And for people back in that culture, uh, they would have thought to get into the water and go down any distance at all, 50 feet, 100 feet, oh, you know, we're, we're way down there. I mean, now we know, okay, uh, that the oceans sometimes get as far as seven miles deep. And this is what it's just simply saying, is that God's justice, His capability to always make right decisions and always do what's right and come to the right conclusions and make right decisions. Uh, It's hard for us to fathom that because we go throughout our days and look at the decisions we make and we're, you know, half the time in error on our decisions. Our God, not like that, never makes mistakes. His uh, decisions are always right. And for us, that's something that's unfathomable. It's hard to believe, but your God's like that. Your God's like that. He's got unfathomable judgment. And then you see in verses 7 and 8, it's just this, the idea that there's an all-encompassing provision of God. He provides everything you need. There's nothing that's missed. Verse 7, how excellent is thy loving kindness. He comes back to that term he starts off with in verse 5, thy mercy how excellent you can't come up with any other words but you're you know here's the best word i can come up with how excellent is thy loving kindness O god therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings they look to you for what we would say this it's using the illustration of birds but what do you have baby birds do they naturally find protection under the mom and for us as believers what we have with this un uh, un and excuse me, all-encompassing provision of God, the first thing that we have is this idea of protection, refuge. 
I mean, both earthly and heavenly beings find their protection under the wings of God. And understand this, it's not just merely a passive protection. When you think about those mother hens, they're very active in their protection of their young. God is not just merely sitting there going, I'm like a defensed wall. No, God is actively protecting. He's energized in his protection of his children. He's like this. He is one who provides in his provision that he provides. He provides satisfaction. Look at verse 8. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thine house. The idea of fatness is just the abundance of your house. And thou shalt make them to drink the rivers of thy pleasure. When you think about this, God is a good God. And we have yet to even comprehend the abundant blessing that God's got for us, not only in this life, but the life to come. We talk about a river here. We're going to be uh, in a city that has a river that flows from the throne of God. It's for the satisfaction of the nations, the, the trees that are there. He gives satisfaction. And not only this, he gives life and light. Verse 8, 9, for thee, with thee is the fountain of life. I mean, I think about this, and it's amazing that God gives life to beings. You make a study even of uh, how uh, from conception to uh, birth, uh, a baby is developed and formed. It's, it's something that keeps people in the world odd. You go down to the Museum of Science and Industry, and I'm surprised they still have the exhibit there, but they go through the uh, lifespan of from conception right up to birth, and you look at everything that goes on and everything that works together, and they, and they use the terms, the miracle of life. You've got a God who can make life. No one else can make life. God can. It is a miracle, and it's not only the idea that he gives physical life, he gives spiritual life, which is a person who is in, is in a connection with God forever, not separated from him. And in thy light, ultimately, we see light. I mean, when did you start seeing things the way you should have? When you came to God? The four people are saved. They're described as blind, walking in darkness, groping after things in the world as they try and feel out the world that's going on. And then all of a sudden, when a person comes to God and puts their faith in the sun, it's like the light bulb starts turning on. Things become clearly seen. You're going, why didn't I think like this before? Because you weren't thinking right. You weren't seeing clearly. And now you have the light of lights as a part of your life. And these are all the things that David just goes through and goes, okay, you look at this world that you live in, it seems overwhelming. This one person makes life obnoxious for you. Wait a second, you've got a God who is incredible. And he's faithfully caring for you and protecting you and watching over you and cares for you and has poured abundant blessing upon you. He's your God. There's an overabundant God that you have. So then you go, okay, what does that mean for me? If we were to give a theme to this passage, which I have not given it to you yet, just kind of wanted to work through this psalm as you come apart or across the parts of it. If you were to have a theme, it's just simply this. The believer is driven to earnest prayer when he sees the abundant wickedness in the world and the overabundant goodness of God. 
Let me say it again. The believer is driven to earnest prayer, communication with his God, when he sees the abundant wickedness in this world and we could put in the word but in contrast to this but they see the overabundant goodness of god what you have in verses 10 through 12 is just simply prayer you know you live in a world right now you you, you haven't left it yet the lord hasn't taken us out he's left us here we're in this world with people that are like what we read in verses one through four they're still there you know, in some cases, they are there, they're running your business, they're running your life, their government you're, a part, you're underneath. They do this, and they're, they're living their lives out on full display. And you go, okay, what do I need to do when I finally see the abundant goodness of God and His incredibleness? It's just simply to communicate to Him, to talk to Him about what's going on in the world around you. And go, Lord, take care of these things because I can't, but your overabundance can. I mean, look at verse number 10. What the, the, I almost said the apostle, what David says here, he asks and intercedes for continued loving kindness. And here's that word again. We found it in verse 5, mercy. Uh, verse 7, loving kindness. Here it is in verse 10. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Lord, don't stop your faithfulness, the good things that you send me, the loyalty, the faithfulness. I, I can't make it in this world without you. So continue the good things that you're doing in life. The psalmist finds himself between two themes, the wickedness of the first section, the abundant blessings of the last. His action is to turn to just simply urgent prayer. And he's saying, Lord, prolong your commitment. Stretch this idea of continue. Just stretch out something and you go can god stretch things you go yeah because he's infinite in all of his ways we're not going to get past uh, what he's capable of but yet you still pray to him lord may i see your loving kindness may i understand it may may your faithfulness be seen in my life don't don't let me get to a point where i'm not seeing it let me see your goodness in a world that is just turned upside down uh, in its rebellion against you. Let me see this. Let it continue on. Don't let me uh, get to a point where I'm going, I'm not seeing this. I'm not seeing your loving kindness. I'm not seeing your faithfulness. But beyond that, it's also the fact of interceding just simply for powerful protection. Look at verse number 11. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. Lord, protect me against evil people like this. These are people who spend their days and nights plotting what evil they can do to them, uh, for themselves and against others. You know, Lord, I, I don't have the ability to be up 24-7 and deal with all of this. You can take comfort in the fact that the God of Jacob neither slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't need it. And so you just simply say, Lord, protect me from people who have as their designs the destruction of myself. Especially when people find out that are like this, that find out that you're a follower of God. I mean, 2 Timothy makes it clear, yea, and all that live godly shall 
what suffer persecution if you live godly the idea is that you live as if god really exists and you really do have to relate to him and that you're going to have people that persecute you because you live that way and so what you just simply say is this let not the foot of pride let not the hand of the wicked remove me lord protect me from people like this verse 12 there are the workers of iniquity have fallen they are cast down and shall not be able to rise Uh, what you have here is just simply an acknowledgement of what god will ultimately do you know people that are like this the sad reality is is that they will ultimately be cast down or as you have in revelation they're cast out into the lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone you have individuals that are like this and we ought to just simply acknowledge that as we're praying for individuals like this lord protect me from them but help them to realize they are just living merely for this life and afterwards their destruction is sure help them to see that uh, as i live in this life protect me from them but these individuals have a need to understand that their end is sure as psalm 2 talks about it's you need to get prepared you need to kiss the sun uh, blessed are all they that put their trust in him though those people that are like that they need to put a faith in god And so as we look at the world around us and we are upset because of what's gone on, where it seems like the wicked are getting away with everything, look to your God. Look to Him. And you will find a comfort uh, and the ability and the opportunity to simply cast your cares upon the Lord. He does care for you and He will take care of them. The song I would like to sing in closing here, and we'll have Dave come up here in a second, is a song that I came across multiple times as reading the psalm, and you had different commentaries just going, this is a great psalm, and you're just like, why didn't I think of this myself? It's the hymn uh, that you find on uh, page 204. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And what are you told there? When you turn your eyes upon Jesus, the things of earth become strangely dim in the light of His glory, how incredible He is, and His grace, the things that He gives us. And we at times just get upset, and I, you know, I can myself get this way, but you know, we get too easily stirred by what's going on in this world, and you're just going, well, you have to remember your God. You know, we got to think about them a little bit more than we do. We, we turn on the radio and it's just kind of the, the thing that we're listening to. And for an hour, we hear people are upset about things and angry and frustrated and bad things going on. And, and, you know, we can go for an hour and never think about what our God is like. And so really, we need to have this statement of turn your eyes upon God and the Son of God, who is God, uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full and his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim so uh this is a song just to remind us really i i I don't know if the song the 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 person writing turn your eyes upon jesus had this psalm in mind uh, but it is uh very much close to the whole theme of this and so we're going to sing this as our our closing hymn uh here this evening so it's hymn number 204 i almost said 402 204 
uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And we'll, we'll sing all the verses of this because uh, it's a good song confirming uh, what we've heard in this psalm.